the expectation is the, the, the black, brown, and red believers need to uh, submit their culture to the white expression because that's what's normalized. Well, mm-hmm. the reality is all of those cultures need to be expressed in worship. And if that's not happening, you don't have a multicultural church. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another for his name's sake. Prescribe truth, we're giving you what the doctor ordered. Jamal Bandy, apologist, the Lord's servant. We undeserving, but Christ changed our mind frame. In a world full of errors, the only thing the doctor prescribes is truth. Welcome everybody to the Subscribing Truth Podcast right here on YouTube. If you're new to the channel, please subscribe and hit the notification bell to the side so you'll be notified when I have new upcoming content. If you're listening to this on your podcast apps, please remember to leave a rating and a review as this helps the show. If you want to support me financially, you can do so by being a patron on patreon.com forward slash prescribe true. I have different reward tiers starting anywhere from a dollar and up. $20 patrons get a t-shirt. And it's not binding. You can just give a donation of any amount and you can drop out at any time. I really appreciate it. If not, I appreciate your prayers. Today, I have with me Mr. Damon Richardson, Pastor oh, Damon Richardson right. of, of Urban Logia. Is that how you pronounce it? Yes, that's right. Uh, man, uh, I met this brother uh, through a friend of ours at the Block Huggers Conference that was here in uh, Columbus, Georgia. And man, uh, just intrigued by his knowledge and how he communicates this knowledge and the wisdom that he has and how strong he com- he, he communicates it. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's always something that was cool, man. Uh, um, just encouraged by your ministry. I follow you on YouTube and I listen to you on Facebook, man. Um, if you, uh, I'll give you time to introduce yourself. Introduce yourself. To people, man. <laughs> oh man. All right. Well, uh, I am, um, I am a, uh, 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 husband and a father of four. Um, three boys, one girl, and uh, we live in the uh, greater Atlanta area. Um, let's see. I am a, I am a, a, a devout Christian. <laughs> I think that's uh, one of the best things that I could ever say about myself is that I'm, an, I'm a devout Christian. I love the Lord, and uh, I am um, a Christian urban apologist, and uh, so uh, a number of the uh, things that my... Um, apologetics focuses on uh, is uh, not just your typical philosophical apologetics where you're dealing with creationism or you're dealing with uh, arguments for God or things like that, but I, I typically deal with apologetics that are, that are really aimed at addressing many of the theological and the ideological uh, issues that we are confronted with in the urban context. So when it comes down to uh, for instance, many of your black nationalistic um, Islamic sects and uh, some of your other identity cults uh, like the black Hebrew Israelites and things like that, uh, those are groups that have been attempting for uh, quite a number of years to address the various identity issues uh, within uh, black America, uh, which you know, which is the result, of course, of uh, slavery and, of course, an ongoing systemic racism. And, uh, and so as a result, those were some alternative ideologies and theologies uh, that have been offered over the years to uh, the black community. And um, consequently, many of those things have died down and then they have experienced some ebbs and flows of revival. And so uh, now uh, the church has been confronted with it again. Uh, one of the things that excites that 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 um, excites me is that today the church is more equipped and more prepared to offer a response to those groups. Where in the past or in previous generations, many of those groups and the challenges that they put out to the Christian or the biblical narrative went completely unanswered. So, if we are uh, if we are correct in our assessment, uh, urban apologetics is should be about 90 years old. Um, it's the very fact that we've only started talking about it within the last 10 years uh, is 80 years too late. And uh, but um, 
thank God many uh, young men and women are rising up uh, that are learned in scripture and uh, uh, systematic theology that are learned and in, in, uh, have a sound understanding of uh, uh, church history, as well as, of course, basic Bible doctrine. And, and uh, we are uh, set for the defense. So that's uh, typically what I do when I'm on um, social media, uh, like Facebook Live. And of course, uh, we have uh, now um, we've now found ourselves our own web space where we are building out an urban apologetics uh, resource and organization uh, that will train and equip other uh, urban apologists as well as to provide uh, resources for uh, people to read and to watch video that will um, inform them and uh, equip them in their understanding of some of those kinds of issues. So I'm really excited. We're just kind of getting it off the ground, and uh, um, I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, praise God, man. Okay, so I, 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 have, I came with some questions. After listening to your Facebook Live the other day, um, as you was uh, speaking on these issues of dealing with uh, racial reconciliation, mm-hmm. um, the issues have been going on between both sides, or there may be in, there's uh, indifference on one side, or confusion in the middle, and then you know, and clarity on one end, or you know, this this has been put out. And so, um, I know one thing came up dealing with the MLK uh, conference right. um, that came up, and um, you know, so therefore, every time MLK is brought up, what's always brought up is his past as well as stuff that he's did, his infidelity, and all those kind of things. Gotcha. Um, and um, and I, one thing you said on your um, your live that was interesting, I wrote down was that um, Martin Luther King, he had uh, bad theology, but he had right, but he had right feeling and right practice as far as um, dealing with social issues. And, uh, and so that's like, so, and you, if I quoted you, you're like, it's two out of three, whereas we have some of our white um, evangelicals from the past who had right theology, um, yet didn't show right practice that's or right, right uh, feeling. So could you expound a little bit on that as far as the um absolutely the clarity on that and oh absolutely it's it's uh it's uh the three terms uh that um are used to describe those uh those uh aspects of right thinking, right feeling, and uh right acting uh are called uh orthodoxy, it is called orthopathy and orthopraxis. And uh, so orthodoxy is right thinking or right believing. And of course, as Christians, we understand how important it is uh, to believe and think right. And uh, we we understand that right believing should lead to right practice. Uh, and, And so, of course, you know, we believe that there are some essentials to our Christian faith. And, and we're very sure about what those essentials are. And that should never be discounted. And uh, when we, if we are understanding MLK correctly, uh, we, we do know that some of his theology uh, was not orthodox, especially as it relates to the gospel. There are aspects of his theology that are biblical and things of, uh, in, in terms of his ethic about love or his ethic about justice, those things are biblical. So uh, it's not completely uh, correct to say that he was not orthodox in any sense biblically, uh, but as it related to many of the essentials of the Christian faith um, from, from, from what it appears, reading his writing, um, he appears to deny the virgin birth, of course, the deity of Christ, uh, and 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 thereby, of course, the resurrection, things like that. So he didn't have that. He didn't have that right, but he did have the orthopathos, uh, orthopathy. That is the right kind of feeling and attitude towards others. And Jesus, for Jesus, that was very, very important. And when he talked about loving your neighbor and uh, who is the other. Who's your neighbor? And, and of course, the other, the question of the other were Gentiles and they were Samaritans. They were those who were other than Jews. And Jesus told, as he would teach, he said, you know, it's an easy thing to love people who are like you. It's, it's, it's an easy thing to love your family, to love other Jews. Uh, but your neighbor is not just the other Jew. Your neighbor is. Uh, and, and, and of course, 
what Jesus is referring to is uh, the sojourn of the Israelites and how they how they maneuvered around various nations in their wilderness sojourn. And, mm-hmm. and so, of course, uh, those groups of people, uh, those were others, those other nations, Goyim, um, were, those were strangers. Those people were considered outside of the commonwealth of Israel. And so one of the things that Jewish, uh, Jewish people begin to do is to look at their culture as special, particularly because uh, God had told them that they were a special nation, that he called them, that he called them out. Uh, but when you start looking at your being called out, uh, when, when it starts to inform you that you are better than others, mm-hmm. now you're not looking simply at sanctification as an act of God's grace and sovereignty. Now you're looking at being called out as some cause to believe that there is something particularly special about you and something particularly not special about others. Right. So Jewish people began to develop an attitude that is a way of perceiving others that was not right. And, and so uh, Jesus dealt with that in the Gospels. And, and, and so if we're going to have the right orthopathos, we need to have the right attitude there's another word for that, orthocatharsis, that is the right heart. That, mm-hmm. that kind of creates a, a better picture there. Uh, how do you feel about, so for instance, if we said, you know, what's your view on sin? And you go into pointing out a number of scriptures. Well, that would be good. But what if I said, you know, what's your attitude towards sin? And you told me, well, you know, um, uh, I don't really see it as uh, much of a problem. Now you're really articulating how you feel about it. You're, you're, you're mm-hmm. articulating your orthopathos. So your, your attitude is not reflective of your thinking about it. God wants us to feel the same way about sin that we think about it. We right. should hate it as much as we are theologically informed that sin is the transgression of the law. So our attitude about it should reflect that as well, how we feel about it. But ortho, uh, orthopraxis is is what we do. It's the right steps, the right actions. The interesting thing is, is that those three are interrelated. They should flow out of each other. Uh, our feeling towards others and our actions towards them should be born out of and flow naturally out of what we think and how we believe. And so when you look at the teachings of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., um, he was very soundly uh, ortho, uh, uh, I should say his orthopathy and his orthopraxis were very, very sound. And uh, and so uh, that is not to say that those two thirds make him more Christian than they, but it is to say that by lacking the two thirds from an evangelical standpoint, they are not more Christian than him. If he's got two thirds more of the gospel right than they do, it is not necessarily to say without that essential one third, he's more Christian than them. It is to say without those other two thirds that they don't have, they are not more Christian than him. And so uh, the, the, the message is, is that if evangelicals think that by having one third uh, orthodoxy and missing those two thirds, that they can still claim to be orthodox Christian believers, my message is, is, is that they're no more Christian than him. And if he's not authentically Christian, well, then neither would they be. So so that message doesn't make him orthodox Christian. What it does say is, is that they can't be either, if that's the case, because they are missing more elements of essential, Christian, essential Christianity than he was. So I, I hope that I've made that clear. 
because right. there were people even after that interview who said, "Oh, he's still trying to say that Dr. King <laughs> was a Christian." Well, no, nah, yeah, I, I I didn't hear that from you. Um, but even in the, even in the, uh, the when you was doing a live, I didn't hear that from you. Uh, you were just you was making a, you was uh, drawing a conclusion off of the, the two possibilities, of, or the logical conclusion of one. And so, um, but I'm gonna actually I'm gonna play devil's advocate a little bit. So what I what I, what I heard here um, in response to uh, this, and not in response to your live, it was just I guess an argument somebody else made was similar to this. And so uh, this is what was posed. And I'm gonna get your thoughts on this. Okay. If um, okay, so yeah, he he's so he's missing out on the essentials. So he no, and I, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take this off of MLK. Cause I don't want to make this about him. Yeah. Uh, just or just Christians in general. Um, if we have Christians who uh, believe right, so they have they have, they they believe in the essentials, um, but they struggle in the other two. I agree that not struggle if they're not doing the other two. This it's absent. Then I agree that you know that shows that they have not they have uh, they have mental capacity, but it's not changed their heart. Uh, path is in praxis, and even though I have orthodox and still be uh, Christian, whereas somebody else may have uh, they have right feeling towards people. And right practice towards people in action, but yet okay. they miss out on the essentials. Um, with that person, they'll be I, well. I know you would agree that person is not Christian, but like, would you still say that which which side would be the struggle more so on in that sense, given the um, given the gospel? Let me read a let me read a text from Micah six and eight. Um, it it says, "He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you." to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly uh, with your God. Uh, in Isaiah 61 and 8, it says, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Uh, th there are a number of different verses that talk about God's love for justice and how uh, love and justice and mercy are are um, not only part of how God demonstrates Himself uh, towards us. He He acts uh, towards us out of His own character. He is just. He is love. He is merciful. And right. and so in God's dealings with us, we experience those things about God. Um, but. Uh, there's a term that uh, some 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 time ago was uh, developed called ethical monotheism, and and so this is the idea: not only that there is one God, but that our moral um, our moral um, behaviors, our our ethical behaviors, come from this one God, and 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 so there is an expectation that we are to walk out. Uh, in relationship to other people, our understanding of not just that God is one, but we are to walk out towards others the implications of who God is. And so if God is just, if God is mercy, if God is love, in as much as we relate to him, we ought to walk that out in relationship to others, which is why Jesus says, that the greatest two commandments is to love God. That's uh, that's um, heart, that's uh, I should say vertical to love mm -hmm. God with all of your heart, um, and to love your neighbor. That's horizontal as you love yourself. Those right. two are interconnected, and 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 so I would dare to say that one informs the other. If a person truly loves God and truly relates to God in the gospel sense. We've been justified. You know, uh, the, the 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 wrath of God was poured out on Christ and we received his mercy uh, and the justice uh, of God was given, uh, was was satisfied at the cross. And of course, righteousness was imputed, credited to us. Right. Uh, and then we were regenerated by the spirit of God. Well, this relationship should establish for the believer the um, the need the, the necessity to walk out um, in our relationship to others, all of the implications of, of, of God, God's grace. And, and, and so 
I would str- I know we struggle with sin because obviously we've had Christ Christ's righteousness imputed to us. That does not mean that it has been infused. It does not mean that it has um, that that we actually it's an alien righteousness. So we don't have our own. We have His. So I get it. We still have a sin nature. Uh, I, I understand that. Um, I struggle, however, to understand how a person claims to know God, to be transformed by him, to be regenerated by his spirit, uh, to be informed by God's word and never have a change of heart in their thinking towards others. If, if, if I could look at somebody and not see them as I see myself, that questions my love for God because I'm the love my neighbor as I love myself, but that horizontal ethos of love comes from my vertical Mm -hmm. love for God and his love for me. In fact, that's where it properly comes from that, that that the direction of that love comes from God towards me. And obviously I am able now as a result of being regenerated to demonstrate faithful love back towards God and worship so forth and so on. So I struggle with a Christianity that, uh, with these impotent versions of Christianity that can attempt to articulate how serious and important orthodoxy is without having the right justice, love, and mercy ethos towards other people. Uh, I just can't see, I, I don't think that the orthodoxy aspect, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Right. So my issue is, is that let's not necessarily question whether or not there's something wrong with that particular gospel. I've got to then question whether or not there's something wrong with the people who claim to embrace that gospel. I, it, it's very difficult for me to believe that those individuals are truly born again, that they do not see others as they see themselves sharing in the imago dei, the the image of God. See, see, that's what it that you know that's that's part of it. Um, mm-hmm. Although, of course, the imago dei has not been um, erased by sin; it has been defaced by sin. So, so although we are made in the image of God, we are all not the the best representatives of it. So in right. some way, we are all misrepresenting that. And, and I get that. But if I can see and understand myself to be a representation of the image and the likeness of God, I've got to understand every human being in that very same way. But if I can see you as less than the Imago Day, that enables me to treat you less than human. That enables me to treat you like an animal. And, and, and we have all kinds of affection for animals, but we don't love animals like we love people, at least. Well, there's some people who probably do, but, but we, animals are not moral beings. They're not moral uh, creatures, but, but people are. And, and if, a, if a cat kills another cat, he didn't murder that cat. He only killed him. But if a man kills a man, he murdered that man. And, 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 and the reason it's more serious is because that man was also made in the image of God. So when when evangelical Christianity allows for the practice of an orthodoxy that is void of orthopathos and orthopraxis towards when we're, when we're bringing this in, uh, when we're speaking contextually mm-hmm. towards uh, black people in the context of America, it makes me question uh, it, it not only makes me question whether or not many of those people are actually saved, but it makes me question their understanding of the gospel because the other two are implications of the first. If you have right faith, it is of necessity that you must have right feeling and right practice because those two aspects are implications of that same gospel. So in reality, I don't think they really understand the gospel. Um, so, yeah. Okay, so let me ask this. Um, 
what, what I'm thinking is, and I, I mentioned to you before we started, that I'm thinking that some are misunderstanding what's being said as far as what's mm-hmm. being communicated um, or what is being asked of, um, of our white brothers and sisters in this regard. Mm-hmm. Um, so before I get there, I don't have much longer. Um, so I don't know. I, I know this is going to be like like uh, wrong to ask. <laughs> but <laughs> is it possible to just give a, a couple, just a couple um minutes or what is what is institutionalized racism the understanding of what that means and i'm a i'm a preface i'm a preface this uh question because i didn't really get this i know i'm gonna just uh give a couple uh minutes to, to state my end on this mm-hmm. so uh me coming up i came up in a false teaching you know i was in predominantly black churches a b and c but i was in a lot of false teaching um yeah. you know in a cult a b and c dealing with um uh watered down version of pentecostalism it was just <laughs> man doing this thing. Um, so when I came, it's, it's in, in my context, in my area, most of the African-American churches that I know of are, are not teaching the Bible or either like not, they're like, um, it's not gospel centered, it's more man-centered. And I've before I went to the church I'm at now, it's, you know, that's what's most of what I will get, you know? And so now the predominant white churches in my city, uh, well, there's only two, that you don't know of, but it's, well, it's probably four total. But anyway, that's where I first heard, like, just so I can go and just hear the gospel preach. You right. know what I'm saying? Yet, uh, one thing me and my wife talked about too is like, you know, yeah, the music's different. You know, it's, you know, I don't feel, and this is something I, I think we talked about when you was down here on last time, that feeling of like, man, when I hear something good, I want to shout, <laughs> just want to jump <laughs> over and shout. Like, you feel that restraint where you have to kind of like, okay, simmer down, you yeah. know? You know, gotta hold that in. But other than that, it's like I guess because of my background, the only thing that was most important to me was to hearing the message teach, right. and so and hearing it taught right. And so, um, so I didn't really pay attention to everything else, you know, um, until it was brought up before about a year ago when we had a conference. And then, you know, uh, why we have so many people saying white man's religion, so on and so forth, right? And um, so now, when I listen to your um, live, I heard systemic racism and I heard institutionalized racism. You know what I'm saying? But it, I didn't really understand it. Right. You know, because it was like it wasn't to me, I feel like it was it's people we should be getting to, not a system. But right. but when I heard you explain it, and I want you to just speak, spend a couple minutes on that, it's like, is that yeah, it's individual people, but it's ingrained in the system because of the individual people who are in place. Exactly. And, and am That's I getting right. that correctly? And, yeah, uh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so um, you know, let to, to just talk about uh, what systemic racism, institutionalized racism, what it actually looks like. Um, it, it, these are, uh, when, when we talk about systems, we're talking about, of course, the way that our society works. So, you know, we've got an educational system. Uh, we've got, you know, banking, housing systems, uh, government. Uh, we've got uh, justice, systems of justice. All of these things are part of how our society works. So those are, you know, what you call, of course, institutions. And uh, and, and, and so uh, these institutions and these systems are not, how can I put it? They, they are not, it is not possible that these systems and institutions exist apart from culture. Right. So they, they don't exist apart from culture. They're not sitting in some vacuum um, in every way. They are part of they are part of the culture. And so the culture has made it acceptable uh, to mistreat black people. The culture had made it legal and acceptable to enslave black people. The culture made it legal and acceptable to perceive black people in certain ways the culture made it acceptable and 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 legal to uh speak to black people uh and treat black people in certain ways and so of course even when slavery ended the feeling towards black people the thinking about black people and the treatment of black people did not end although the institution of slavery legally ended, none of those three things did. And so culture 
um, because they were already a part of the culture, uh, those the, the perceptions of blacks, the treatment of blacks, uh, and and the thinking about black people uh, became not only ingrained in the culture, but ingrained in every institution and system uh, within the culture. And that is because those systems don't run themselves. Th those institutions don't run themselves. It is a fact that historically, the law enforcement uh, uh, institution in America, not only was it started, of course, to uh, stem the, uh, uh, you know, to, 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 to deal with crime, um, it, mm -hmm. that's obvious, but there are other reasons that law enforcement was added. One of those reasons, of course, was to prevent uh, slave rebellions and insurrections. Uh, the other reason, of course, was to prevent slaves from running away. And the third reason was to protect white life and white property. Uh, those are three historical facts about why law enforcement was started in America, in the North, and of course, even in the South. And mm -hmm. so till this day, um, law enforcement has those cultural ingrains in there. So, so, so the problem is, is because it is a part of law enforcement, culturally, the way that law enforcement officers, white and black, are the culture trains them to look at black people as criminalized. And so, of course, if you perceive blacks, and, and we're talking about the way that the culture of law enforcement works, right, right. not necessarily every officer, but typically being part of that culture, it is, it, 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 you know, the chances of you being conditioned to perceiving black people and therefore treating black people in a way that is consistent uh, with that culture, uh, the chances of that happening uh, are uh, astronomically great. And so that is what we see today when we see, we can see white people strapping it out with police officers going blow for blow and just simply be arrested. But we can see black people unarmed running from the police and get shot in the back right. 10 times. Right. Uh, and, 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 and so why? Because law enforcement culturally perceives black people as more dangerous. They perceive black life as of less value. They perceive black people as more criminalized and they perceive consequently white life and white property as more valuable. Law enforcement is more apt to preserve white life even when it is a direct threat. Nobody can refute that. We don't even need statistics for that. That passes the eye test because we see that play out every single day in America. The same criminal justice system is 100 times more likely to give a black person who is guilty of the same crime as a white person a sentence that is two to three times longer than that white. Um, that same criminal justice system is also very likely to um, to sentence a black person for a crime that they did not commit with less of a burden of proof and evidence. That same law enforcement and criminal justice system working together has already created a pipeline from schools that begin to identify um, young blacks as early as second and third grade, and they're able to project uh, the number of prisons and where they should even build prisons on the basis of uh, these kinds of projections. That's called uh, the school to prison pipeline. And so we can see in elementary schools already a, a black child that demonstrates misbehavior uh, receives um, a disproportionate uh, amount of uh, penalization. For instance, uh, a black child could simply point their finger like a gun. I mean, we, you know, we did that when we were kids. You know, you go mm -hmm. around, you play cops and robbers or whatever. A black child can do this and end up receiving five days suspension in school. A white child does the very same thing. 
um, oh, that's just Billy. It's he's just that's just an expression. That's harmless. And, and and so the schools are already preparing our children to not only be isolated in their education, uh, but also to end up getting penalized through suspensions and expulsions and things like that, which make them uh, 10 times more likely to end up in incarcerated and in the criminal justice system through the juvenile detention. The next thing you know, uh, they're in the county or the city jail or what have you. These things are already in place. Redlining mm-hmm. as a practice uh, to um, to widen the gap of economic disparity uh, between blacks and whites by identifying which zip codes they live in uh, and not allowing certain resources to become available to persons who live in certain zip codes. So a person that lives in a certain zip code is not uh, is less likely to receive a housing loan uh, or what have you. That's called redlining. Those are not practices from 50 years ago or 60 years ago or 70 years ago. Those practices still happen today. These are ways that the system uh, continues to oppress systemically black people. And these systems run because people who perceive blacks, treat blacks, think about blacks in the same historical ways that earlier generations did. They are Mm -hmm. holding those systems in place. And so when white Christians deny that racism is more than just overt forms such as burning crosses, wearing hoods, sicking dogs on uh, black people and things like that. When they deny that, what they're really doing is that they are allowing those institutionalized forms, which are greater, which are more subtle, but which are more impactful to black life. They're allowing those forms of racism to perpetuate continually because nothing can uh, perpetuates a thing like denial, you know, and and and, and okay. so in a rape culture, when when people deny that rape occurs because in rape culture people tend to look the other way, or they tend to deny that um, that young men will put um, pills in the drink of the woman. When you deny all those things, you're really just perpetuating rape culture because you're denying how it happens. You're denying that it happens. And let me, are, yeah, go ahead. Oh, my bad. I was just, I want to ask you, so, uh, so given that, so we have systemic racism and institutionalized mm-hmm. racism and it's ingrained in the culture. And so, um, and so by, by and large, since it's ingrained in the culture is then fed to us into the church. Right. Yes. So, so the response to the church during this time, um, it's what I'm, this is what I'm hearing, is that the response should have been that even though the, the culture viewed blacks a certain way, okay, Christians still should have felt differently. Like they should have uh, like went against that grain. And that's, Absolutely. That's, that's what I'm hearing. And I, and I agree with that. Um, and so, so we see the faults, we see the flaws there, right. whereas like the church was taking on the um, the culture's idea of human beings versus what the Bible says about all right. uh, all human beings, regardless of where they came from. Exactly. And, you know, and so I, I see that. And so now, uh, now when it comes to now and today, uh, what is the um, the the end of this when it comes to response to the church? So I, I hear a lot about like cultural assimilation as far as like um, as far as what blacks may have to do when they go to certain white churches. Right. Whereas they have, you know, having to assimilate. And um, I want to deal. I want to ask. Um, and this is what this is what caught caught my attention and what you had said in the live. And um, I, I, I've driven this too long. But um, yeah, it's all right. But he said, like, uh, whites tend to see their expressions as far as uh, dealing in the church expressions and way of living as a default standard and not cultural. That's right. You know, so they see it as more normal. And that when I thought about that, I was like. Hmm. You know, and, that, and that's, you know, when you go, when I go to a church and, you know, about, even before I came into theology, any of that stuff, it just I know white churches from black churches because of how they handle their service right. differently. You know, they you know, black churches typically did this. White churches typically did that. You know, so, so basically, if you go to white church, pretty much, you know, this is how it's going to be. You know what to expect. If you go into a black church, you know what to expect, you know. And so um, 
Well, my, I guess what I want to what I want to ask in this is knowing that these things exist. Okay, I know I know that uh, the thing is, are we look we're asking our brothers and sisters to uh, acknowledge that their problems do exist, that these things are in our culture. Well, what does that look like in the church, and how do we fix that in the church? As far as because I feel like it's gonna be hard for us to do that out there if we if we have the problem That's inside. Right. That's right. And so how do we how do we deal with that here? What is the what does that look like um, being fixed? Now we may not achieve that now, right? <laughs> we never get, but but what would that look like here? And then we can bring out. Well, my my prayer is that uh, we can uh, achieve that, um, but I think we need the right we we need the right perspective. We we there's certain things that we need to acknowledge first, and and um, uh, to be the annual Buile made a very great point in an article that he wrote um, uh, on the gospel coalition. He talked about uh, the impossibility of reconciliation uh, with, without uh, acknowledgement. And, and, and so one of the reasons why uh, we're kind of stalled out in, in this whole thing about racial reconciliation. And, and I think part of that reason is, is that we're not, ex- we're not acknowledging some of the things that we need to acknowledge. We, we have to really be honest about this. And so this is a, this is a greater challenge. Uh, it, it's difficult for us because we have to constantly live through the painful experience of, of talking about it. Uh, but our white brothers and sisters get to simply say, I'm fatigued of even talking about it. Our fatigue comes from experiencing it, existentially living it. They just don't like talking about it. And, and, and they've got to move beyond, they've got to move beyond the difficulties of, of the conversation and be willing to go all the way with honesty about what we are saying. And, uh, and, and so this is what it looks like. Number one. Uh, you, I, was, I want to let you know real quick. You, you, you was cut out at one point and you just came back in. Okay. I am so sorry. I, I don't, I don't like, know. If, if maybe my internet uh, stream is bad. So what I was saying is, is that we've got to be honest about this whole conversation. Th- there's got to be complete honesty. Even when there is discomfort, there's got to be complete honesty. And, and, and so let's start with racial reconciliation itself. Um, when we say being reconciled, uh, there's an aspect of reconciliation that, I mean, if we're looking at it from a connotative denotative standpoint uh connotatively it can be used to just say you know we're bringing two parties together denotatively um it's talking about bringing two parties together who had been together at one point and are now separated uh if we're having an honest conversation whites and blacks as christians in america were never really together uh so so honestly we're not even talking about racial reconciliation we're talking about racial conciliation we're talking about how we need to get together because Mm -hmm. we never were we've never truly worshiped together which is why uh absalom jones and rich uh uh, richard allen started uh the uh um the ame church Mm -hmm. because blacks were not so so conciliation is what we're really talking about so that's one thing uh the other thing is is that yes it is important for white people to recognize that the culture favors them. That that's what privilege is all about. But why does the culture favor them? Well, it favors them because it's part of the white supremacy narrative. It favors them because the narrative says white people are better. And so there are white Christians who would deny, oh, well, I'm not better than you. But they still allow the culture of the church to operate in ways that do favor their and see, culture. And that's what, and, and, that was, there you go. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I cut you off, bro. I don't, I'm about to run out of time here, but it's like, but that is the thing that I was like, like on the, on the uh, fence about. Right. But that's, but that's also the thing that actually, that what you just said was that you got to be said, okay, that's what they're saying. It, you're not saying that every single Christian is purposely in themselves feel like they're right. better than the, than their black brothers and sisters. But the acknowledgement of that, there is a system in place. There are people who are in places who make rules, who make decisions, who make laws, make things, policies, whatever case may be, that favors them. And and that's not, 
you know, that may not be particularly their fault, but I mean, that's still, it's, it's a reality. And, that's, and, the reality. and so the, the announcement of that reality is what I'm hearing that need, that people are asking. It's not so much as saying, okay, no, I'm, I'm not going to just admit that I don't, that I think I'm better than you. Like, no, that's not, that's not what they're saying is, you know, it's, it's what it's being said is, okay, look, there's a reality in the world. It's just going on in our culture, you know, and that's that, yeah. you know? And so, um, that's the, that's the first step I see. And so, um, man, uh, <laughs> I know yeah. these kind of conversations, they require so much time to really dig it, dig it out and explain things and just kind of lay it end to end. And by the time we start laying <laughs> that foundation, it, the, the, the time is up uh, and I get it. But let me just let me just help some of the viewers out uh, to just kind of really grasp in a nutshell what I'm saying. Uh, this has to start in the church and what we have to do is recognize the way in which uh, church culture favors whites in every way, uh, not only in preaching, but of course in worship and all of these things. That favoring is part of not only uh, what we would, some would call white privilege, but white supremacy, uh, because the narrative says this is the reason why it's normal or the reason why it should be normal is because it's better. And, and so the way that plays out for us is, is that um, in order to be Christian in America, uh, black people have to make certain sacrifices, and those sacrifices are cultural for us, whereas white culture is normal. It's so normalized and standardized that they don't even consider it culture. They just consider it standard. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and that is because it is an aspect of white supremacy. It is, a, it is an aspect of white normalization. And, and, and the reason that that's got to be challenged is because that is a direct affront and challenge to the gospel itself. Because what it ultimately ends up communicating to the black Christian is, is that, yes, you need the gospel. Yes, you need biblical orthodoxy, but you also need to embrace white culture. And, and so that's a Jesus and something else uh, proposition there. And, and once it's Jesus and something else, it's no longer the gospel. But the way that Christianity is expressed in the context of America is not only racist, but it is out of step with the gospel for that reason. Black people have to conform to white norms in order to be Christians in the context of evangelicalism. And so that's not just Jesus alone, that's Jesus and. But mm -hmm. white people don't think about it in that way because they see. Uh, their culture as those norms. So they're mm -hmm. seeing, well, this is just the way that it's supposed, this is how you're supposed to worship. This, this is the way it's supposed to sound. This is the way you're supposed to preach. And this how, this how it's always been. And so, right, right. And then, and then when, when there's pushback to that and we start talking about uh, social justice and, and uh, you know, uh, the framework of justice and love and all of these other things. And so, oh, they're trying to exalt their, uh, their culture above the gospel. Well, wait a minute. That's exactly what we're accusing you of doing, mm. of exalting your culture. And you're not just accused of doing it, you're guilty of doing it. And, and, and so does that, does that implicate every white person? Absolutely not. We're not saying that people are inherently racist because of how they look. Uh, it, it's not anybody's skin tone that makes them anything. But it is a fact that uh, white people are conditioned to thinking and perceiving about black people in certain ways and thinking and perceiving about themselves in alternative ways, as well as behaving towards black people in certain ways and supporting through either their ignorance, either their denial, uh, or, or even their complete dissonance and indifference to what it is that we are saying. They are allowing those systems to perpetuate even in the church. So if we want conciliation to occur, then we've got to start tearing those strongholds down through biblical teaching, and we've got to let people know uh, that uh, Christ is king among us, uh, and, and, and that culture can be redeemed, but no one person's culture needs to be exalted above another person's culture. If we're going to worship together, then nobody's culture needs to be king. Nobody's right. culture needs to sit on the throne. And in 
evangelical Christianity, white culture sits on the throne. That needs to be dethroned. In order for black people to feel comfortable worshiping with whites, we need to be able to worship together as equal uh, image bearers, not one person subservient or less than another culturally, inferior to the other culturally. And that is what it is like to be a black Christian in America. Culturally, we are inferior to white Christians because we are told that our way of worship is the thing that needs to be surrendered. It is our way of worship. Uh, it is our cultural expressions and norms that need to be set aside, and we need to align ourselves. That's, that's supremacy and superiority in other packaging. And so whites need to recognize that, repent of that, and tear that idol down so that blacks and other ethnicities and other cultures can we can all worship together in the freedom of expression in biblical ways without exalting our cultures above each other. And mm. and, and, and that is something the, the the burden, the onus and the burden is on white people to do that because whites historically are the only ones who have normalized their culture. They have so normalized it that they don't realize the degree or or, or where the separation from scripture and culture begins and ends. They right. even see their culture as an extension of scripture. You see, so so those things really have to, they, they really have to change. And by whites recognizing that and doing that, they are they are creating the conditions whereby racial conciliation or racial reconciliation can happen. But you can't expect black people, black Christians to bear the burden and the responsibility of having been oppressed in America and the burden to fix it as well. And so our white brothers and sisters, as uh, Matt Chandler said, there's no way forward if white pulpits are not speaking about this, if white pulpits are not talking about this, addressing it and dealing with it. Um, Christian literature should not by default make biblical characters look European, but they do. Well, let's, mm -hmm. let's tear that down. Right. Let's get rid of white Jesus. That, that would that would be a great start to have have our Christian. We could we could have a voice to say in our Christian movies. Every 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 prominent figure in a movie is not blonde hair, blue eye. He ain't got to be black, but we know he's not blonde hair, blue eye. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. He, he doesn't he doesn't have to look like uh you know a, a guy with you know uh, dreadlocks or he's got some uh some brush waves in his hair with a do no, He doesn't no. have to look like that. But it it, it needs to be. Uh, uh, who he is. Culturally realistic. And, right. And there, there you go. There you go. So, you know, these are just some of the ways uh, that that we deal with it. Um, black people, we do have a different way uh, that we worship in terms of the sound of our singing, so forth and so on. Well, when you've got black people in your church. Well, well, um, why do we need to standardize and, and, and normalize? Uh, elevation worship or Bethel or, or Hillsong style uh, or, 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 or even 16th, 17th century uh, hymns. Why do we need to normalize that? Well, that's, that's culture. That's, that's elevating culture. And so when you got black people in your church, again, uh, let's sing some of those things. Let, let's get all of that in there. But, mm. but don't exclude black culture from those expressions as though it's not normal or as right. though, well, we, that's not how we do it here. Well, what do you mean? If, if, if see, uh, multi-ethnic, uh, ethnicism is when you have multiple ethnicities together, but multiculturalism is when a, uh, when there is a multiple expression of those cultures. And so, mm -hmm. That's not happening in some of these multicultural churches. What they don't understand is that the difference is you just have black and brown and red bodies uh, worshiping with white bodies. But when it comes down to the dominant expression of culture, the expectation is the, the, the black, brown and red believers need to uh, submit their culture to the white expression 
because that's what's normalized. Well, the mm-hmm. reality is all of those cultures need to be expressed in worship. And if that's not happening, you don't have a multicultural church. And, mm-hmm. and that's what we need to get. Now, if your church is particularly all white and it, 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 there's almost no expectation of doing that because, I mean, a, a church in Jamaica is going to be Jamaican. It can't be anything else. It's like, well, why do you guys have all Jamaicans? It's because it's in Jamaica. So you expect <laughs> a church to reflect its context. Mm. But when the church has multiple cultures and ethnicities and, and, and languages, there should be a, uh, a representation of that, not only in expression of worship, but also in leadership uh, and, and all of these different things. And nobody's culture needs to be king in terms of how things need to be done. And so okay. that's what we, you know, we've got to start there if we're going to experience uh, racial reconciliation. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I think that's a great place to stop, man. I, um, I thank you so much for coming on and, and taking this time to just to discuss this with me and with our viewers, man. Um, it's, it's even further more insightful and I, I'm thankful that I'm able to understand. I, I'm finally able to understand really what's being said and as far as the, what the argument is and what the call is, you know, and I got to say, man, like, the misunderstand. I see the misunderstanding from the other side, and I, I hope and I hope this helps them. I hope I hope this tears down some of those misunderstandings, and that they really see. Just like you said, we're we're looking for not just black culture to be represented or put king. That's not what's acting. I've heard That's that right. be an argument. Like you know, it's not about no culture being established above another, but we're all represented That's equally right. together. If we're going That's to be, right. if we're going to be claiming to be multicultural churches. Exactly. And then that expression goes out into the world as we, as we show the world what it looks like to stand as one. Exactly. As and so yes, I think this is beautiful, we, we man. Need, we, need, we need redeemed cultures. Being <laughs> we, we don't need to get rid of culture. We want to, we want to show the world what a redeemed culture looks like. Amen, bro. So yes, uh, thank so you real, for having me on, brother. Hey, no problem, man. So real quick, any um any last things you want to say or you want to give a shout out or I mean the plug anything else before you before we close? Absolutely. I, I I'd love for uh everyone that's listening to uh go to our new website. It's 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 just been launched about two weeks ago. Uh urbanlogia.org. That's U-R-B-A-N-L-O-G-I-A. And uh, I want you to go to a uh, the tab you learn. Uh, that's you, as in the letter U, and learn. And uh, I've got a um, a course in there. Is Christianity the white man's religion? It's a uh, video course with a downloadable workbook. Uh, so I've 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 uh, taken that uh, that message that it, it, it's become very very popular now. Uh, but we really worked it out in a way that it not only is informative, but it it equips the believer to be able to walk away from there knowing what to do when they go back into their context. So they're equipped to be able to take that information and apply it, uh, not only conversationally, but uh, to apply it in relationships uh, with people that they know. I also have a scholarly article in there on the parables uh, of Jesus in, 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 in their Jewish background. And um, there, uh, there's some free content in there. I've got some free blogs. What you have to do is put your email address in, uh, in order to view it. But that allows us to be able to, uh, we need that information so that we can get information, information out uh, to all of our supporters. Uh, but please support us at urbanlogia.org. And um, we've got some more videos that are coming that are going to be uh, not only theological and biblical, uh, and historical, but some of them will be related to uh, apologetics as well. So we're really trying to hear from our audience about some of the things, some of the areas of learning, some of the uh, knowledge gaps that they have that we'd like to be able to uh, partner with churches in being able to provide uh, information uh, to be able to plug in some of those biblical knowledge gaps, some of those theological knowledge gaps, uh, and even those knowledge gaps in church history. So we're all about equipping. Uh, and, you know, of course, we're trying to reach an urban audience because uh, this is an audience of Christians that have been underserved in these areas. And so, uh, and, and that's indiscriminate, indiscriminate of whether you're black or white, our context uh, is uh, is urban. So uh, 
please support us there. And of course, uh, friend me on Facebook. I actually have a uh, a like page, I should say a public page, uh, Damon Richardson, as well as Urban Logia on Facebook. I want you to be able to go there and uh, like us on that page as well. So God bless you. And uh, thank you so much for having me on to, to have this very important conversation. And uh, I, I pray that we are able to see in our lifetime uh, racial uh, conciliation happen. Amen. Amen. I put a link um, to those sites on in the description as well. Uh, so you can be accessible to our viewers. Um, but hey, y'all, I hope this was helpful to you. Yes, I hope sir. that you were encouraged as I was in this conversation uh, going forward. And I, too, hope for racial conciliation. I'm going <laughs> to put that in the title. Like, uh, it, was, it was good, man. Um, so, hey, everybody, look, if you disagree or you agree, leave your comments below. We want to hear from you. Let's keep the conversation going. That's what it's about. We need to keep talking. We need to keep That's discussing. Right. And with a heart of compassion and with grace, you know, don't leave the, leave the pride at the door. Let's <laughs> let's talk. Let's talk like, like Christians are supposed to talk. That's right. And so at the end of the day, remember, this world is full of errors. That's but right. the only thing that the doctor prescribes is truth. Blessings. If we preaching and teaching, believe in Jesus' power to change the hearts of the heathen. The word of God, yes, breathing in truth is what we reason with lifting the risen king who rose for all of his children.